Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. While you do, it, it <clears throat> occurred to me that in, in some ways this isn't that different for me on a Saturday morning. Those of you that, that know me know that I come in here and I preach to uh, an empty church. I don't have all this great music uh, leading up to that. But there are some similarities because when I preach to the empty church on Saturday morning, I am, I'm thinking about you, our congregation. I'm considering that. And, and so I am, I am really glad that we can focus on worship and on God's word this morning. There is nothing better that we can do at any time, but especially at times like this. Let's pray together. Lord, will you illumine your word? Will you teach us? Will you comfort us? Will you challenge us? Will you demonstrate your presence to each of us that come before you this day? We need to hear from you. And so we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It was... Tuesday, 9-11-2001, most of you who are listening to this will remember, perhaps even remember where you were when you first heard about what was going on, that planes had crashed into the World Trade Center, to the towers there, that they had come down, that a plane had crashed into the Pentagon, and then another plane had been driven from the air to crash in Pennsylvania. An incredible day. After watching those things unfold during that day, we were in Atlanta at the time, and after looking up into the, the skies of Atlanta, we were in a, a normal um, pattern for the Atlanta airport, and there were no planes flying. And after realizing that it is likely, it's more than likely that life as we knew it before that day would be drastically changed, if it would even be recognizable. After calling all our children, after going through feelings of, of anger, of sadness, of revenge, and on and on, up and down throughout that day, I knew that the family of God needed to get together. So we called for a prayer time 
at the church the next evening at 7 p.m. What would I say to them before we prayed? What could I possibly say to them that evening? And so at 7 p.m., I walked out to a, a church full of people, and I got up, and I read this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah, that means pause. Think about those things. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress Selah. I'd like us to go right straight through this amazing psalm. And so what we see is the psalmist here at the very beginning begins with a statement of faith. Not with what kind of trouble he's in but a statement of faith. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And in this, he sets the tone for the entire psalm by emphasizing if there is any protection, if there is any security at all, it has got to come from God. Now think about that perspective. Is that where most of our world usually gets its security? And how about now? Where do they get their security then? Well, let me give you some of the places that our world tends to get its security. How about our good health? How about having enough money? 
about bank accounts, stocks, about having enough money, or for some it's their job. For others it's their security is in people and so on. So here we are today, and every one of those things I just listed is what the news channels are droning on and on about how those things could be lost. In fact, the problem with any of those is that they can be lost. Even before uh, the coronavirus hit, virtually all of those things that I have listed have been dealt with by people in our church family. And in some cases, they have lost those things prior to any of this. Money, portfolios, retirement. Those things are only as secure as the economy, as we know. So let me give you a diagnostic question. Are you more discouraged now and more scared about your future with the coronavirus being bad than you were a few weeks ago or this time last year? Say it again. Are you more discouraged now or more scared about your future with the coronavirus situation being bad than you were a few weeks ago or this time last year? And if you are more scared or more discouraged, it may be that we're trusting in those things even more than we'd like to admit. The more that one trusts is in God, the more we are equipped to deal with the difficulties of this life. Now, let me, let me clarify that. I want you to really, really hear that. I didn't say the more you put your trust in God, the less difficulties you will have. What I said was, The more you put your trust in God, the more we are equipped to deal with the difficulties that we will have in this life. The psalmist, however, is very realistic that trusting God will not stop us from experiencing difficulties. Look at verse 2 and 3. Awful things do Happen, He says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Verse 2 starts with the application of trust in God, because he says, therefore. He says, this is who God is. This is where my trust is. Therefore, we, we won't fear Some of you may say, well, that's so pious sounding. That's easier said than done. Of course, that's true. But notice what he's saying. He says, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. In in other words, the psalmist is imagining 
the worst of calamities. He's imagining the return to chaos, basically reversing all of God's work on the third day of creation when he took it out of chaos and brought order and said, what if it goes back to all that? So he's giving this drastic example. And though that may not happen, the, the reality is that sometimes it, it may feel like that. What we think are the foundations of our established worlds are, are shaken and, and chaos seems to be coming again. And if you are listening to the news, that is where they are. They will tell you that's the direction. <clears throat> Elizabeth Elliot uh, has written about her experiences. Uh, she uh, was a Christian and a believer and uh, not only with a heart for the Lord, but a heart for those who were lost. And she and her husband uh, were missionaries. And she writes about the loss of her two husbands. The first one, Jim Elliott, was killed by the, the Alca Indians in Ecuador while trying to reach them with the gospel. The second one, Addison Leach, was, uh, died slowly from cancer. In relating uh, what those experiences were like, she referred to this psalm. She said, that in the first shock of death, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling, earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not, God is not shaken. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And then look at the illustration he gives. He talks about safety in the city. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, typically in our day, we don't, we don't think of the city as being the safe place. In fact, right now, the city's off limits. It is the unsafe place place. But the psalmist gives us a, a, an interesting picture that may sound a little strange to us. We need to understand what, um, what that meant to them in that day. The great fear in the cities of that day, the eastern cities in a time of war, was that the water supply would be cut off by the enemy if they were surrounded. In our day, it seems like our, our great Fear is running out of toilet paper. So compare that to what, uh, what they were dealing with. For the city in the psalmist day, during a siege, if the water supply was secured, if you had a good flow of water, you could undergo a, a, a lot of attacks and survive for an indefinite period. So, in the verse it says, make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The city in this verse 
represents the church of God, and it's described as being well supplied with water. See what it says? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So what that is saying is that that in times of trial, God is in our midst and will supply us with his all-sufficient grace. Where God is, there is safety. We're being tested right now as to whether we really believe that. And then look in verse 6 where it speaks of the power of God. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Our, Our tendency is to see and to focus on the uproar and the turmoil around us. It's human nature. It's natural for us to do that. The psalmist reminds us that yes, there's an uproar, but he speaks a word. God speaks a word, and it can be stopped. That's the power of his word. Remember Jesus, God's word incarnate? He showed us that as well. Out on the lake, a horrible storm, turmoil all around. The disciples are terrified. They think they're going to die. Jesus stood up and spoke a word, peace, be still. And it calmed the storm and the sea. That is the power of God, and it is still in effect. And then he speaks of the presence of God. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, that's one you pause and, and meditate on. It's not helpful to us if God is almighty and powerful, but he's nowhere to be found. The psalmist says that's not the case. This verse is repeated at the end. We'll say more about it then. But the psalmist moves us in building his case to the safety of God's people by again reminding them of the works of God. Look at verse 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations to the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So there were times in the Old Testament when God defeated the enemy of his people. And these verses could have literally meant what it says here. Okay, I've defeated your enemy. Now you go outside the city and look at what your God has done. Walk among the remains of your enemy. That would to them be a reminder that only God could have defeated this enemy. They were outnumbered, they were outfought, and yet they won the battle. We need to look back in church history in that way. We need to see that every time the evil one, every time Satan attacks the church, the church of Jesus Christ, 
every time he is defeated. The church grew. It thrived. And it was victorious. Persecution comes to the church. Satan thought he could stamp it out. Instead, it purifies and spreads the church farther than it would have spread. Heresy comes to the church. It causes the church to define doctrine with precision. So if we see our God overcoming in the past, then when we are again attacked, we know that he will not let the church be overcome. Maybe he is strengthening his church. I'm seeing things already. I am seeing, I believe, more prayer in talking with people, how much more prayerful they are. I am seeing them them professing their trust in a God who is in control. And I'm also seeing people longing to be back together. I don't think we'll ever again take it for granted. So we see then what's the appropriate response. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Remember I mentioned to you about Elizabeth Elliot. She also said that the thing that is most needful is to do what the psalmist does later, and that is to be still and know that God is God. God is God whether we recognize him or not, but it comforts us and infuses strength into our faltering spirits to rest on that truth. Now again, that goes against our view. American Christians tend to say, well, God helps those who help themselves. We need to get busy. That's what we need to do. And I'm not saying be inactive. We're encouraging you to be ministering to one another. But when we become still and acknowledge him and let him work, we are acknowledging that he's in charge and we are not. He is God and we are not. And that's a major step. And then the psalmist takes us to the names of God. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now that's the verse that I said is repeated twice. So we need to pay special attention. God doesn't have to say it twice for us to pay attention to. But if he does say it twice, we really need to make sure we notice. He uses the term for himself, the Lord Almighty, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, or Lord of the angels. That's the name that David called upon for help when he faced Goliath. That's the name he used. He's the one who brings heavenly power to rescue his people. He rules the armies of heaven so that They obey his will. 
And then he says, the God of Jacob. He is saying, the God of you, my people, Israel. So he's not just that God afar off. He is the God of his precious people. Selah, musical pause. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the early 1500s, the outward part of the Reformation was beginning. Martin Luther, who had had been a priest, had come under conviction that salvation was about faith, about grace, and not by works. And a lot of people associate, rightfully so, they associate Luther with Romans, particularly Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. But his conviction came also from his study of and his love of the Psalms. One of his favorites was Psalm 46. And Luther had some hard times when times were darkest. He struggled with depression often. He lived during a period of the Black Plague. He had disease in his own body that he fought with. His life was threatened. He was often discouraged. And when that took place, he would turn to his friend and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, and say, come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. We know it as a mighty fortress is our God. Luther said, we sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all the assaults of the world, the flesh and sin. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.